Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 664 for the 13th of October, 2019. This week, the newly released Exposure X5 gives users powerful new ways to control distortion, vignetting, color fringing, and chromatic aberration. These are problems that can damage the look of an otherwise good photograph. In short circuits, Microsoft has added some new controls for the mouse cursor. Now there's a range of 15 sizes for the pointer, and even better, you can set the color of the mouse cursor to make it more visible. I'll tell you how. More than 100 utilities are available on the Nearsoft website. Most are provided without charge, and they can help users see what's happening in normally hidden areas. In spare parts only on the website, if you're still running Windows 7, you are running a risk. Too many computers are still using that long, outdated operating system. The American Library Association and the Overdrive eBook Management System from Rakuten are making select copies of new eBooks available without delay. And 20 years ago, while preparing for the January 2000 version of the Consumer Electronics Show, I was really impressed that devices were becoming so small. Exposure Software, the folks we used to know as Alien Skin, have released Exposure version X5. That happened in late September, and an array of new and improved features make the upgrade worthwhile for those who use it as a plug-in for Adobe applications and for those who use it as a standalone application. The key new and improved features include masking that can be based on color characteristics, better corrections for chromatic aberration, fringing, and lens vignettes, customizable camera profiles, and additional film look presets. The film look presets have always been Exposure's key feature, and although new presets have been added, there's not much more in this version. Exposure can be used, as I said, as a plug-in for Adobe Lightroom or Photoshop. For this review, I'll be using it in standalone mode. Let's start with lens corrections, and this is an important feature because every lens is imperfect. Sorry Zeiss, sorry Canon, sorry Nikon sorry, any other lens manufacturer. More expensive lenses generally exhibit fewer problems, but all lenses have problems with distortion, vignetting, color fringing, and chromatic aberration. Zoom lenses have more problems than fixed length lenses. These kinds of problems are often not explicitly noticed by someone who views an image, but we recognize, perhaps subliminally, that the problems are there. Let's say you visited your favorite Indian restaurant and ordered curried coconut chicken. The meal arrives and it's good, but something seems just slightly off. Well, it turns out the kitchen had run out of curry powder and substituted cumin. So some subtle taste is missing. You might notice it, but not be able to explain exactly what it is. And that's the case with distortion, vignetting, color fringing, and chromatic aberration. 
Exposure X5 has substantially improved the program's existing lens correction capabilities. Vignette correction removes darkening around the edges of the photos. This is a problem more common with digital cameras than with film cameras. While photographers often apply vignetting carefully to enhance the subject of an image, unwanted vignetting from the camera is, well, unwanted. Chromatic aberration and color fringing are caused by lens refraction that causes different wavelengths of light to focus at slightly different locations on the sensor. Chromatic aberration usually occurs along straight lines, particularly lines that are not vertical or horizontal, and color fringing affects the image more generally. Distortion causes lines that should be straight to bow in or out. So let's look at some of these corrections in practice. Check out the images on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Color aberration and fringing are similar. So I started with a situation where defringing is needed. A blue sculpture stands in front of the McConnell Arts Center a few blocks from my home. I photographed the sculpture in 2017 with a super wide zoom lens. Although the lens is well made from a quality manufacturer, it does exhibit fringing that's common with wide angle zoom lenses. To judge fringing, it is important to view the image at 100% magnification or greater. You'll see an example of the problem on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The area that I was particularly interested in is highlighted, and you'll see before and after images. Exposure has made it possible to control the parts of an image that are affected by the various editing controls with a mask, but the mask had to be brushed on previously. Now it's possible to target areas based on hue, saturation, and luminance. Although I haven't fully mastered this 3D masking tool, it's easy to see how effective it can be. The example you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website is a photo of a rhinoceros at the wilds. Although the original image was acceptable after basic cropping and color balance corrections had been applied, my eyes constantly were drawn to a bright green grassy area in front of the rhino. Photographers know that a viewer's eyes will fix on the lightest area of a photo, and that's why vignetting is often used to darken corners. A vignette wouldn't work here, though, because a large area of bright green would remain in the center. I used a hue-based mask to select the grass and was unable to darken it quite easily. There is some green in the rhino, too, because of the light reflected from the grass. Using the brush mask as an eraser removed the darkening effect from the rhino. The change is very subtle, and unless they've been told about the modification, it's likely that most viewers won't realize the changes have been made. The 3D masking feature works only with raw images because JPEG images lack sufficient information for it to be effective. Those who shoot raw images will also be able to assign custom camera profiles that control Exposure X5's color interpretation. Profiles can be customized using color management software and can be further fine-tuned based on a camera model or even a serial number for those photographers who have more than one camera of the same model. Individual profiles can also be matched to a specific lens or a range of ISO values. 
We'll get to the hardware needed to run this application in a bit, but first I have to say that a second screen is definitely desirable. Most photo editing applications work better with more than one screen. Exposure X5 is definitely no exception. I tried running it on a Surface Pro and found it to be nearly unusable because of the small screen size, just 12.3 inches, and the resolution, 2736 by 1824. Exposure X5 fit much more comfortably on my primary computer with two 27-inch monitors, even though the resolution was slightly lower, 2560 by 1440 on each monitor. The thumbnail images and all the tools are on the left monitor, and a comfortably sized image of the photo I'm working on is on the right monitor. Exposure X5 also offers the ability to move things around on the interface. By default, folders, presets, and history are all on the left, and most of the editing tools are on the right. Folders, history, and presets are all large tabs. My choice was to place the history panel on the right and to keep it closed most of the time. That way I can keep the folders and presets panels open on the left and open the history panel only when I need it. Exposure X5 may be used as a standalone program or as a set of plugins. When used as a plugin, it requires Adobe Photoshop CS6, or Adobe Photoshop CC 2015 or later, or Adobe Lightroom 6, or Adobe Lightroom CC 2015 or later. Mac OS users will need Yosemite, that's version 10.10 .10 or later, and Windows users will need a 64-bit version of Windows 7, 8.1 or 10. Both macOS and Windows systems need at least an Intel Core 2 processor and 8GB of RAM, although 16GB is recommended. Although the program will run on a monitor with 1280x768 resolution, it will function much better with more than one monitor and with monitors that provide higher resolution. New users will pay $119. Users of previous versions can upgrade for $89. Those who purchased Exposure X4 on or after August 1st, 2019 are eligible for a free upgrade. There's a 30-day fully featured free trial of Exposure available on the Exposure software website. So the bottom line here is five cats. Exposure is no longer just about film looks. Whether used as a standalone application or a plug-in for Adobe's photo applications, Exposure X5 brings a lot to the table. The ability to approximate the appearances of film stocks and processing techniques is still there, but an impressive range of more subtle modifications give the application an ability to make tweaks that perfectionists will appreciate. You'll find additional details on the Exposure software website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. In short circuits, does a mouse cursor that you can't find sometimes turn you into a computer cursor? Some recent changes by Microsoft may result in less muttering and cursing at your mouse cursor. Multiple monitors are popular now, often large monitors, and sometimes the mouse simply seems to hide. You may have already turned on the option to highlight the mouse cursor when you press the control key. That's a handy function that you'll find on the old-style control panel mouse properties dialog box. It's in the Pointer Options tab. 
When the feature is enabled, pressing control displays a large circle around the mouse cursor, and the circle shrinks. Now, as useful as that feature is, and it's one that's been around for a long time and one that I've used for a long time, it may still take tapping the control key several times to find the cursor. A new feature that you'll find in Settings, Mouse, Cursor, and Pointer adds several new features. Previously, the cursor size had two options, Normal and Large. Large was only slightly larger than the standard cursor, though. Now, the size of the cursor can be changed from the default small size to enormous in a range of 15 steps. In addition to light, dark, and inverse cursor options that have been present for years, users can now have the cursor display in color. Windows will suggest seven colors for the cursor, but the user can specify any other color. I selected a cursor size of two, and I set the color to yellow. Now, I don't lose the cursor anymore. The old-style control panel also has a setting that turns the mouse cursor off when the user is typing, and I've enabled that so my large bright yellow cursor disappears when I don't need it. If you visit the Cursor and Pointer section in Settings, take a look at the Cursor Thickness option, too. This is an option that can make it easier to see what you're doing, but not all applications honor the typing cursor width. In fact, few applications other than Microsoft's pay any attention at all. To that setting. Sometimes dealing with a computer reminds me of Bob Dylan's 1965 Ballad of a Thin Man, in which he noted that something was happening but it seemed that poor old Mr. Jones was clueless. Perhaps you have looked at your computer, as have I, knowing that something was going on, but not knowing what it was because it's all hidden behind a curtain. Near Sofer has been writing utilities that pull that curtain aside, or at least let us see through it, since 2001. Sofer's website has more than 100 utilities. Most of them are available without cost, but he does encourage donations. And I hope he's more successful in that regard than TechBiter Worldwide is. Maybe we should just run pledge drives here twice a year and replace most of the content with yammering about the need for donations. But I digress. Obviously, I can't describe every utility here and tell you what each one does. The Nearsoft website does a fine job with that. What I'll do instead is describe a couple of the utilities in action. If there's a problem you want to solve, browse through the listing on the site, and you'll probably find something that performs the task you need to have performed. Back in 2001, Sofer used the registry for his utilities settings, and that meant that each one had to be installed. Now virtually all of the utilities can be run without being installed. That makes them portable because they can be run from a thumb drive. Where are the settings stored, you might wonder? Well, each application creates a configuration file in the same directory with the executable file. So what in startup.exe will create what in startup.cfg when you run it. If you decide you no longer want to use any of the applications, there's no uninstallation process. Just delete the program files. So maybe you wonder what's happening on the computer's disk drives. File Activity Watch will show you, and I can almost guarantee that you'll be surprised. The screenshot you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website shows about half of the activity that occurred in the first few seconds after I launched the utility. And there's a lot of it. 
If the computer's disk drives seem to be uncommonly busy and the resource monitor doesn't provide quite enough information, File Activity Watch can show you the process ID and usually the process name responsible for the activity, how much data is being read or written, and when. Or perhaps you'd like to see which programs start with Windows. Some programs add themselves into the Windows startup list without even asking you. What in Startup also shows how each startup application is started, including several locations in the registry and folders for the current user and all users. What in Startup displays the list of all programs that are loaded at Windows Startup. You can select one or more of the items and then disable it by pressing F7 or delete them by pressing Ctrl-Delete. A little utility can also assist with identification of unwanted applications on the computer. And third, you might want to find out if the drivers on the computer are current. Windows has more drivers than most of us realize. Driver View lists them all. There are 247 driver files on my primary computer. You can select one or more drivers from the list, then copy the details of those drivers to the clipboard, save them to a text or HTML file, or watch them as an HTML report in your browser. Double-clicking one of the displayed lines opens a dialog box that displays additional information about the driver. The utilities are organized in categories to help you find what you're looking for. Password recovery utilities, network monitoring tools, web browser tools, video and audio utilities, internet utilities, desktop utilities, Outlook and Office utilities, programmers tools, disk utilities, and system utilities. Take a few minutes, drop by near Sofer's website, check out what's there. You don't need any utilities to see spare parts, but you'll find that section only on the website. This week, if you're still running Windows 7, you are running a risk. Too many computers are still using that long, outdated operating system. The American Library Association and the Overdrive eBook Management System from Rakuten are making select copies of new eBooks available without delay. And 20 years ago, while preparing for the January 2000 version of the Consumer Electronics Show, I was impressed that devices were becoming so small. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.